Marquette basketball fans. Welcome to another edition of the Golden Break. I'm your host, Adam Woke. Shout out to the production team, Mike Keegan, Matt Micus, Jeff Gibellina. They help make this pod go. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the Golden Break. We are always doing our best to try to provide you unique content. Big day here. We're going to be joined by John Fanta, college sports play-by-play broadcaster at Fox Sports, Big East enthusiast. Uh, Anyone who follows him on Twitter knows that this is someone who's got the insight on the Big East. He's going to be joining us today to kind of review the Big East, look at uh, what's ahead, especially for Marquette basketball, uh, and how we're going to match up. Before we get into that interview, I do want to talk a little bit about the U. Let's start with the offense. Um, Great start to the game for this offense. I really enjoyed the ball movement. We didn't get stagnant uh, on the offensive side. There was a lot of fluid motion. I think there are times when we get ourselves caught in a situation where we're standing there with the ball waiting for guys to get to their spots, and that really makes things difficult for our offense to keep the defense on their toes. That did not happen. Today there was a lot less dribbling going on, which I thought was really important in making sure the ball moves side to side. You know, at the very, very end of the game, I saw Cam Jones really over-dribble in the last five minutes, dribbling to nowhere, uh, just dribbling to try to get to the hoop. In fact, I felt like a lot of the offense in the last five minutes of the game, we got out of our system Uh, And we found ourselves just trying to create on the one-on-one side of the ball. And that's just not going to work. But in the first half of this game, we were actually setting some great screens. I've been waiting for a game that was going to help Tyler get someone on his hip. You know, when you set that ball screen for Tyler so that he can finally get someone on his hip, it's going to attract a lot of the other defenders. And he is going to exploit that. He also did a fantastic job today of scoring at the hoop. He was able to get those shots up at the hoop that I have not seen a lot of. And I've talked about this in past podcasts on why it's important for him to be able to at least keep teams honest. Uh, Because if they doesn't, it's going to really shrink the court. Uh, He also did a really great job of skip passing again. This was something that I felt has been missing the last couple games. When you make the defense sprint to the weak side of the court like that, you're going to get them caught up in their rotations. Um, And in trans, another thing Tyler was doing today that I think has been a lot very different than I've seen in our transition offense in the past is typically we get the ball to Tyler and he dribbles to the middle of the court to push the offense up. Today, we had several pitch aheads, which basically what I mean by a pitch ahead is he would get the ball on the inbounds, he'd throw it up past the timeline, and we would hit a guy over towards the offensive side of the ball. And when you pitch the ball ahead like that, you get the defense into a complete sprint to try and make sure that they're getting back to the basket and cover. And we scored on multiple pitch aheads. When you look today, we scored... Four or 17 points on fast breaks, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible for us, especially when we've been averaging 9.4 in the last five games. We really put, and our field goal percentage was good. 
on transition. And I think it has to do a lot with the pitch ahead. We put ourselves in positions, even when the pitch ahead didn't lead to an immediate score, it led to actually several mismatches, which allowed us to take advantage of them and score. So let's see more of that. I think that was something that was really effective for us in the transition game that we haven't seen much of in the past. We also talk a lot about youth and experience, um, timing on offense. And that's, I think, sometimes a blanket statement, right? Well, they're young, they're not in rhythm. So I want to point out a particular play that shows growth in rhythm, that shows growth in our offense's ability to start to read and react. Remember, this is a read and react offense. And I think it's important that we point out the growth when we see it. There was a play where Kerr came up to set a screen for Tyler. As he was coming up, the guy defending Kerr was going to hedge Tyler. So he jumped ahead up to where the ball handler was up at the arc. As he was doing that, Kerr read it and slipped back towards the hoop. So now you have Tyler, who's got both defenders on him, Kerr, who is sliding down to the hoop, he read that his defender was anticipating that. As Kerr comes down the lane, he attracts the weak side defender, which left Elliott wide open in the corner, and TK throws a perfect skip pass to him, and Elliott hits it. That is growth in a read-and-react offense. When your team is starting to anticipate what the defense is doing and reads it and reacts, it sets up baskets like that. Those were the types of plays I saw from the offense today that made me feel really good about the direction of this team in the future. There were multiple examples of that, but I think that was the one that stood out the most to me that I wanted to make sure I point out to people as we continue to assess the growth of this team. I think we also have to talk about the shift in offensive systems we saw in this team in the second half. Uh, the, the bench really struggled scoring. I think they only had like five points in the first half and maybe 10 all day by the time this game was over. Um, you know, having Daryl off the team really made us go deep into the bench. And Stevie, he had a terrible two minutes, I think he played, but he played so poorly. He got gobbled up whenever anyone was getting physical with him. Defensively, I mean, this game was just way too fast for him. And he didn't play very much after that first stint because uh, they couldn't really afford, afford it at that point. With that being said, I think... With this team's inability to score off the bench, uh, we saw us move into a post-first offense in the second half where we were feeding the block. We have not done this all year. This was very different than what we were used to. When I watched the uh, conference with Shaka afterwards in this game, he talked about how you know when you look at Lewis's shot chart and you look at... Uh, what he does in the paint and at the hoop, it's, you know, his shot chart is off the charts when you look at his shooting percentage. Uh, he does 
have a high field goal percentage when he is shooting at the hoop. Uh, and so I understand the want to get more attacks that way. And I thought what was also nice was we would actually set a screen on the weak side to get the post player open so that the entry pass could be a little easier and we could limit turnovers because on an entry pass like that, you want those to be a little bit more quick hitting. That was a problem when we would play the post with Woj is there's a lot of times you're kind of like playing with the guy to, you know, hey, is it an up time? Do I, do I kind of come around and throw a bounce pass? And when you let the guy who's defending the post kind of read that, they can poke the ball, get in there and steal it. But when you set a screen as he kind of comes over to the block and we quickly get that ball in, we limit the turnover. So I, I, I like that. And I thought we did a really nice job. Some things I don't want us to get caught up in in thinking about what this offense should be down the road. Um, we should not be a post-first offense dominantly as we move forward. It was nice that we took advantage of it in this game. I think we took advantage of a weakness against UConn and a strength that we had. I think it is okay for us to weave in some post-first offense from time to time, but I want to make sure that we keep our focus on the four out, one in, five out, back cutters, uh, screen and roll offense. I hope that we don't shift into a post-first offense. I think that would be a mistake for this team, and I think it for a couple of reasons. I think adding the wrinkle of the post-first offense as a secondary way to score makes us more dynamic as a team. If we decide that we're going to go, it is a simpler offense to run. It doesn't have all the nuance that the system we've been running all year has. It's easier for guys to learn and play in, but I don't want that. I want us to have a more re complex system where we're reading and reacting because it has a higher ceiling as an offense for a team. So I think it's important that if we add it as a wrinkle, it's good, but I don't want it to be the dominant way that we go to score. So it'll be interesting to see if this is something that, how Shaka decides to deploy this moving forward. Last, let's just talk a little bit about life without Marcel on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, we really struggled in the first half. We struggled, I think, most of the game. Defensively, we were late on closeouts, we were what really hurt us. You know, I have referred to Marcel as sort of the point guard of the defense. Uh, I've called him that multiple times because I think of what he does to communicate off the ball. Well, playing a team like UConn that screens and has as much off the ball action as they do, they have so much off the ball screens, off the ball cutting, and we were getting destroyed at the hoop against them. Uh, we could not keep them out of the paint. They were scoring at a really high clip from the paint, and that really hurt us in the long run of this game. And I think what hurts is when you don't have someone like Marcel who isn't just a great physical defender. He, he's a smart defender in making sure that guys are in their positions because when you're off the ball and you set a screen, you have to communicate that just as much as you have to communicate a ball screen. And that can be a detail that can sometimes be missed on a young team. But when you have someone like Marcel who's going to call off when you're switching or to prepare someone that, hey, coming, screen's coming, screen's coming, so that you can get ready, anticipate, and move, 
that makes a huge difference. But you have a lot of young guys out there who are seeing an offensive system that they may not be used to. And yeah, you're going to watch the film and yeah, you're going to practice it, but you need a lot more than just those reps to actually be good at it. And Marcel as a senior has those reps. He can help quarterback those situations. And we were missing that because we were getting back cuts. We were getting guys who were getting open and we were chasing. We were way behind who was needing to be getting a ball or a screen off the ball on the weak side. We couldn't keep up with that, and that hurt us. I think that was actually the biggest thing that we missed from Marcel. I mean, yeah, it would have been nice to see how you could have locked down uh, Cole. Um, it would have been nice to see him lock down any other hot hand that was coming up for UConn today, but I really would have loved to see what he was going to do in helping us be able to defend some of those screens because Omax got cut up on some of those. Yeah, I mean, Omax had a, a good game in what we saw with our eyes. But there were still a lot of times where he was lost on the defensive side of the ball and some of those screens that were happening. This was, I think, a great game of progress with him. And I've been someone who said, I want to see less Omax. I want to see more Elliott. I want to see more Stevie. Stevie did not step up today, and I don't think he should have gotten more minutes. He's going to have to still continue to prove himself. Omax deserved the minutes that he got today. Um, but I think in the long run, all of those guys are going to need to learn how to be better defenders off the ball. Tough game. Um, I'm not super disappointed. Um, this is this team is still, I think, growing in a direction that makes me hopeful for the future, but we're going to have to see. All right, let's bring John in. Let's start talking Big East Hoops. All right, we are here with John Fanta joining us on the Golden Break. John, thank you so much for your time, man. We really appreciate it. Adam, it's a pleasure to be with you, and thank you so much for having me. Always love talking basketball, and it's great to be on your pod, my friend. Well, listen, we have to start with COVID. It's the unfortunate topic of the day. Um, it sounds like the Big East is leaning towards getting rid of the forfeits. I want to know, one, have you heard anything definitive about that and how they might go about rescheduling and are you hearing anything about the NCAA sort of changing protocols in general? You know, I know, you know, the NFL, for example, is making suggestions to be more targeted in their protocols. Uh, what are you hearing? Yeah, well, what I'm hearing at this hour is that the Big East is continuing discussions of getting things on the table to do away with the forfeit rule. And I think that that's what we're going to see. We're going to see this forfeit rule get rescinded. The fact is that rule was set during a time in which the virus was in a very different place than where it is at the moment. And you are penalizing kids for things that they have no control over with this Omicron variant. So the fact is this was the right thing to do. It seemed like a foregone conclusion, but again, all things take a little bit of time. There's a lot of lawyers and doctors involved. And I say this to people all the time, the conference does not make the policy. The 11 schools in the conference make the policy. They have to vote on it. That's 11 presidents in 11 jurisdictions uh, of these institutions. So Marquette being one of them. Um, the fact is, this had to get changed, Adam, and it, and it needs to get changed. And we're going to see it get changed here. I think something will be official by tomorrow morning um, that, that this forfeit policy will be changing um and and rightly so and i think other leagues there's a couple other leagues right now the american athletic conference 
um, the WAC, the Missouri Valley Conference have said that they're not going to change this policy, which I find pretty ridiculous, to be quite honest with you. I, I'm not supportive of causing forfeits for kids and players and, and coaches and teams that are trying to do the right thing. For those vaccinated teams, why should they be forced to forfeit a game? That's not sports. That's, that's ruining the integrity of a season. So I know people were clamoring for this. I think we're about to see it. In terms of the NCAA, the fact is the NCAA is not going to come out with a ruling to say, hey, you know, um, if you're asymptomatic and you're vaccinated, you're allowed to play. It's on, it's on each school of how they want to handle the virus. It's really not on the NCAA. This is, a, this is under the school umbrella. So we'll see how this continues to evolve. Uh, but this is a welcome sight to be hearing this news. And, and I'm being told that there's every sign pointing to this forfeiture policy getting rescinded. And it's, it's about time. It needed to happen. I'm totally with you. I'm really happy to hear the same thing. I didn't understand it at first. Uh, I do feel, feel the same way. It's penalizing uh, you know, kids and teams when it really shouldn't. It's out of their control. So I totally agree with you. That's some good news. Uh, let's start a little bit with Marquette. Listen, I am really excited about this team. I'm excited about Shaka. The last eight years have been rough under Woj. There's a lot to celebrate with this team. I know we've been on a bit of a slide, um, but what do you think could be the ceiling for this Marquette team come the Big East turning? Well, I think that this is a team that could really surprise some people and could get to a Big East semifinal round. And I know some people might be surprised at that statement, but I think so, Adam. And here's why. Marquette, they are, they're going to be in most, if not every game, with how hard they play defensively, with their ability to attack the rim. You know, this is a team that it is not always pretty, Adam. It's not always pretty. It doesn't need to be. You know why? They make up for the lack of glamour at times with how hard they play and with how hard they fight. I thought that was on display against Connecticut. They go down by 11, Marquette does in that game, and they're missing, you're missing your best guard. You're missing Daryl Morsell. And you claw and you fight, and you got to fight UConn to get back in the game. They did that. They did that. If I'm a Marquette fan right now, I'm excited. You know, I texted somebody last night and I said, the moment that Shaka Smart starts to get a higher level of talent into this program, watch out, watch out. It feels like a sleeping giant is going to awake in Milwaukee. And that name of that sleeping giant is Marquette. You know, people, people seem to forget nationally, this program was making the second weekend of the NCAA tournament in 2011, 12, and 13. They're going to get back there in the next two to three years. And that's not going to be the only time they're in it. I think this is a home run hire. They're not an NCAA tournament team in my mind this year, but they might be a team that's on the bubble and is one or two wins away and then gets in. You know, they got to feel the, they got to get a feel of 68 somehow. The fact is the Golden Eagles are going to be in the conversation. And that's really good news for them. Yeah, I'm hoping, you know, for me, I think, you know, it might be, they might be on the bubble, but I think they can yeah. really make noise in the Big East tourney for sure. The way that the ceilings team is, and they're so young, I really think that's where they can maybe get their bid, but it's going to be interesting. Um, speaking, so let's go into a little bit of the rest of the Big East here. Dickie Simps Simpkins last night, uh, or two nights ago, said his uh, top Big East teams are in order, Seton Hall, Xavier, Nova, UConn, and Providence. Agree or disagree? Um, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. 
Um, you know, my top Big East teams would would still be Villanova, Xavier, Providence, Seton Hall, and Connecticut. You know, I think that those are the five teams that are consensus NCAA tournament teams at this point. Um, after that, we don't know. You know, I think the January 1st game between Creighton and Marquette is a really interesting game. Um, that game's in Milwaukee. That's going to be a, a really interesting matchup between Justin Lewis and the Division II transfer, a three-time national champion, Ryan Hawkins of Creighton. I, I think that those are the two teams that I would put right after that. But, but look, it's interesting because St. John's was supposed to be one of those teams, but they've been underwhelming. You know that Mike Anderson, with his pedigree, he'll get them going at some point, Adam. So the league has a lot of depth. I think that's the clear-cut five at the top. But I think it's going to be a really interesting picture um, to see. And, and I, I do think for the first time in a little bit that this league has a wide openness at the top. There's not a clear-cut favorite in the Big East Conference. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And let's talk about Villanova. Because I think going into this season, they were at least treated like probably the number one team in this conference. And you know, I'm a huge Jay Wright fan. I think what he does when it comes just to X's and O's is the best in college basketball. I love the way he runs his offense. But the offense has been underwhelming this year. I mean, they're shooting 46% from two-pointers uh, this year. Is this a flawed Nova team? Or is this something you think Coach Wright can fix come March? Well, look, I'm never going to doubt Jay Wright, and I think he'll get this team to continue to evolve. But, Adam, one thing about Villanova is they typically aren't a team that has a lot of depth. In general, from year to year, they don't have eight or nine guys that they go deep with. This team right now can only go about six deep. You know, that's, that's, that's the position that they're in, and I'm in the airport for all those listening, so bear with me during the holidays. But here's the thing with, with, uh, with Villanova. They can only go six deep right now. And out of those six, they don't have an NBA player. You know, this is not a team that has a Mikhail Bridges that has the Jeremiah Robinson Earl. They're missing a pro. You know, sometimes your depth gets covered up. Your, your lack of depth can get covered up if you just have that much talent on your team. That's not the case with this Villanova team this year in terms of having a lottery pick or having a top 25 NBA draft pick. So for me, look, they have the terrific game manager in Colin Gillespie. They don't turn the ball over. So that's big. That's big. They were on the doorstep against UCLA and Purdue. I wonder how we talk about Villanova differently if they finish in those games. But the fact is they haven't. And they've struggled offensively to find consistency. For me, the biggest key to Villanova going forward is will the real Jermaine Samuels get going? He has really struggled to shoot the ball thus far. Only two for seven against Xavier. You know, he's just had a tough time making shots. They have to get him going um, for them to be truly successful. I think Eric Dixon's been a positive. You know, I didn't expect this from Eric Dixon in the paint. They have a five-man. They need more play out of their stretch four and their fifth-year super senior, Jermaine Sanders. Well, and with that said, I actually feel like Villanova is going to be – I think taken aback against teams that are deeper and that have a high pace and run a lot of possessions, because especially with a team like Marquette and others too, right? Marquette's pace is tops in the league and they do have a lot of depth. That's going to be a problem for Villanova uh, down the stretch. And it's going to be interesting, especially in the 
tourney, you know, obviously they're going to make it to the dance, but that is going to get exposed at some point. So I think you make some good points there. I want to transition that into Seton Hall because Seton Hall to me is the team that actually I think is the most impressive in the Big East. And I think it's because they do a a lot really well from rebounding, blocks, steals. Uh, You know, really their biggest analytical hole would be their three-point shooting at 32% this year, which isn't abysmal, but it's definitely not great. Do you think that I, I, this is one of their more complete teams, it feels like to me, but you've got a better view of this than I do, John. What do you think about them? What do I think about exactly what? Seton Hall. I think that this is a team that is excellent defensively. Might be Kevin Willard's best defensive team. Um, they are top 10 in average height in college basketball, Adam. Top 10. So their length really causes problems. And the biggest thing for this team heading into this year, two things. One, would they have an alpha score? Jared Roden has been that guy. And and he's been really exceptional at making things happen for them offensively. And two, could they get consistency from the point guard position? And actually, they haven't gotten complete consistency from that position, but they've gotten clutch plays. Bryce Aiken, the Harvard transfer has been terrific down the stretch in games at making things happen for this team. He scored six points in the final two minutes in the win at Michigan. He came up with the clutch dagger three against Texas. Then you pair him up with Kadari Richmond, who I don't even think has fully realized just how good he can be. And the Syracuse transfer has been a really interesting story thus far. So if they keep him going, you've got Roden a star. You've got Miles Califactor. Their play at the power forward position, Adam, is deep. They have Alexis Yetna, USF transfer, who I think rebounds the basketball really well. Tyrese Samuel's been a good scorer for them. You know, I think he's a he's a really tough matchup in the Big East Conference. And, and you look beyond those two guys, keep an eye on Trey Jackson off the bench, the Missouri transfer, who I think has game. We'll see how this COVID stoppage for Seton Hall impacts them after it. But, man, up to this point, I've been as impressed with them as any. I think they're the biggest adversary to Villanova to unseat them for the regular season title at the moment because they defend and they know how to close out games. I totally agree with you on that. That's going to be a really dangerous team. I think down the stretch, it's actually the team. I think that also is going to be interesting when it comes to the NCAA tournament. I think they have a lot. Uh, they just do so many things so well that it's going to be dangerous for them to come to dance. Um, so let's take a Providence, St. John's. Uh, UConn, Creighton, sort of in that middle tier there. Who do you think is the team that's going to surprise us the most down the stretch? You know, right now, it's hard to not sit here and look at 12-1 and Providence and give them their due credit. And you talk about Big East tournament runs. I think Providence is as fit as any team that you just mentioned to make a Big East tournament run. Think about this. They average the most fouls drawn in the Big East. So they attack the rim. And I like a team that attacks the rim, especially when your shot's not falling. Can you win the game in different ways? Okay, that checks off that box. Number two, do they defend? We know Ed Cooley's teams are going to defend. They're going to defend you the moment that you get off the bus, for heaven's sake. This team plays defense. Number three, do you have someone who can make plays for others? Last year, Adam, you remember Providence. They were stuck in the mud offensively, right? I mean, that that was a team that just had a lot of trouble offensively making things happen. 
This team has Al Durham, an Indiana transfer, who I think has been terrific at being the maestro for the Friars offensively, making things happen for an A.J. Reeves to, to have open looks. And when Reeves is set, he's got his feet balanced, he can make things happen. Then you have a kid in Noah Horkler who's a glue guy. Justin Minaya, a South Carolina transfer who makes things happen. The Friars have pieces. We knew that Nate Watson would be the constant down low, but could they get enough from the perimeter? That was the question we were asking. They're getting that from Durham, Reeves, Jared Bynum and company. So I would vote for Providence. Here's why I wouldn't vote for the others. And um, I like to I like to give the, the, the candid feedback because I think people deserve to hear it. Connecticut is the most physically imposing Big East team. But Adam, Connecticut offensively can be limited at times. Like there are times when I'm watching them on offense. You watched the Marquette game last night. Were there not times in that game where you're sitting there saying, okay, what is Connecticut's offense, right? Absolutely. They ran so much stuff off the ball. I was like, where are your ball screens? I, and so much one-on-one -on -one action when they didn't hit a back cutter. Bingo, bingo. A, lot, a little bit too much hero ball at times. Um, I thought RJ Cole was great, but there, there comes a time where the well runs dry sometimes. So you got that situation. St. John's has been too up and down. Uh, and you listed Creighton. My thing with Creighton is I think they're probably a year away. Uh, I think they're, they're a solid enough team. I don't know how they handle the Big East tournament stage. I like Hawkins. I like Ryan Nemhard. I think he's going to be a terrific guard. I think he already is terrific, actually. But I, I, I just think that that's a team that I don't know if they have enough for a three- or four-day run. So my vote is the Friars. I think that they're so well coached. And I think that they they defend you well, and they're a good matchup team. Like they can match up with anybody because they're long, they're experienced, and they have a playmaking guard in Durham. I want to talk about DePaul. You know, being uh, yeah. a guy from Chicago, it's always baffled me how DePaul misses out on some of the great talent that the city of Chicago produces in their high school system. I mean, we know Chicago as a pipeline for fantastic basketball players. And DePaul has always struggled to pull that talent in. Hell, U of I has been the same too. I mean, only until recently have they started to pull in some people. Um, but Tony Stubblefield seems to be changing the narrative there. What is Stubblefield bringing to that program that they have not had? Energy. I mean, first off, a fresh energy. I walked into Tony Stubblefield's first week of practice and I could tell right away that the passion that he has, he, he feels like this has been a long time coming to be a head coach. Um, look, he, he's bringing a tenacity to this group. He's bringing a, a mentality of winning. Like when, when Tony Stubblefield got hired, people were thinking, who is this guy? What is this hire? What is DePaul doing? At the end of the day, Adam, the guy worked under, his last two coaches that he's worked under, Dana Altman at Oregon and Mick Cronin. Like those guys win. They win a lot of games and they run a lot of good stuff. You don't think Tony Stubblefield has some of that good stuff? This is a guy that, that to me is the right fit for DePaul. They picked him over some, some lead candidates, some lead candidates. I'm going to share a story with you that, uh, I, you know, I think is, is just fascinating. DePaul was very close to hiring John Shire. They were about to hire John Shire, and um, they didn't end up going his way. John Shire was pretty bummed out that he didn't get the job. Well, God has a way of working in funny ways because John Shire ends up 
getting the Duke job weeks later or, you know, being the heir to the throne. But then, you know, they don't hire John Shire. And look, John Shire might be nine and one right now. And John Shire may go down as a great coach. But they end up hiring this Tony Stubblefield. And you know this, had people seen that they hired John Shire, they would have gone crazy. Sometimes the social media reaction to a hire isn't always the best for the hire. You know, I, I give Dwayne Peavy a lot of credit, the AD at DePaul. He went with the guy that was kind of off the map. But thus far, it's looked like a pretty nice hire. Now, look, they got to prove it in the Big East. They're going to have to show they can win some games there. But I'm seeing talent develop, and they play collectively. And so there's a fresh energy in Chicago. I like what I'm seeing. Georgetown. So this is, I think, mm. Patrick Hewing's fifth year. He's had one yep. year over 500. I think his crowning achievement was winning the Big East last year. But I would not call it overwhelmingly positive so far. Do you think that he is the answer for George Georgetown moving down the road? Do you think this is a guy who's still got to try to get uh, his coaching feet underneath him? Or do you think that these guys are going to part ways sometime soon? I don't think that they're going to part ways. Um, I think Patrick Ewing's got the job at Georgetown as long as he wants it. Um, there might be some, some changes that they make internally, whether it's staffing or, or, or certain things, but Patrick Ewing's not going anywhere. You know, um, the, this is a young team this year. The expectation level was not high. The key for me, Adam, is what happens next offseason for the Hoyas. Can they keep this talent in D.C.? Because roster continuity has been the issue at Georgetown. Can they keep this talent inside their program? If you have more talent overhaul, that's a problem. That's a problem. So they have to be able to figure, figure that out. But I don't think that, that Patrick Ewing's going anywhere. Look, the man still won a Big East tournament title last March. He's one of only four Big East coaches out of the 11 to have a Big East tournament championship. Um, that, that tells me you can coach. There might just have to be some intricacies that adjust, but he's got the job as long as he wants it. Uh, who are some of the best freshmen in the Big East that we maybe haven't heard much about yet, but we will come February, March? Wow, great question. I mean, look, Amino Muhammad at Georgetown has been terrific. He led them to the win over Syracuse. I've talked a little bit about Ryan Nemhard and what he's brought to the table. I, I like him a lot. You know who I love at Marquette is Cam Jones. I think Cam Jones has game. Um, I think he's going to be an all-Big East freshman. I like the way that he plays. He lets the game come to him. He does the right things for Shaka Smart. He listens, um, and he's offensively skilled. You know, I think he's far enough along offensively that, there, that there's some good things. So I like him a lot. You know who else I like? St. John's, Raphael Pinzone, six-foot-six guard from Puerto Rico, terrific game, lets the game come to him, but a lengthy guard, like can play the point guard, but he's also six-foot-six. There's a really interesting dynamic there. And then the other kid is, is – uh, Jordan Hawkins at UConn. I think he only, uh, he's only scratched the surface. He's going to be a bucket getter for them going forward. I would pick him uh, at Connecticut, Jordan Hawkins. I want to get you out of here on one last question. We heard a lot at the beginning of the season, a lot of conversation about teams possibly being added to the Big East in the future. Is that just people blowing smoke? Do you think there's, there's some real talk? And if so, who are some of the teams that you think could get added moving forward in the future? 
Yeah, you know, look, you don't just add for the sake of adding. So when people say St. Louis or Dayton or uh, VCU, like those schools are not giving the Big East Conference what they're looking for. Um, I, I, I think that, that we know, look, you got to be able to adapt. You know, you have to be able to entertain any school that's calling you or your dialogues with a school. Um, I don't think right now, though, Adam, that the Big East is gunning to add somebody. There, there's, there, there's nothing that's serious enough in discussion to say this school could likely be a Big East member. You know, um, UConn and the Big East, that fit. It made sense. UConn should have always been in the Big East. Those old members, they're, they're tied to football. They're not coming back. Um, and any other candidate, you got to look at the geographic footprint and, and say, does it make sense? So, look, I, I don't think there's anything clear cut right now. I don't think that there's a, a surefire 12 team. And the Big East is not looking to expand. They don't need to expand. You know, the, the Big East Conference is doing just fine. They don't need to they don't need to pull in St. Louis for the sake of adding St. Louis. You know, you, if it makes sense from a from a standpoint of are you going to improve television ratings? Are you going to get more people at the at Madison Square Garden? If that if those things to be answered to those questions are yes then yes, you go ahead and you add somebody. Yeah, couldn't agree more. John, thank you so much for your time. We really do appreciate it. I know you're at the airport. You squeezed this in. It's very kind of you. Fly safe. You're going to be all over, I know, these uh, these weeks to come. I hope you stay safe as well. Um, and, and we'll definitely get you back on soon. Yeah, Adam, it's great to be with you and all those Golden Eagle followers and Big East followers out there. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Enjoy it with your family. Stay safe. And uh, to those Marquette followers, I'm going to have the Golden Eagles game at Providence for FS1 uh, towards the end of January. Looking forward to having Marquette on TV. So uh, be sure to look out for that one. Well, we'll be looking forward to listening to you. Thanks so much, John. Thanks, Adam. Thank you so much to John Fanta for joining us. That was an absolute thrill to have him on today. We appreciate his insight. Uh, we want to continue to try to bring the greatest fans in basketball, the most unique content that we can. Uh, we'll be going on a little bit of a holiday hiatus. Uh, we'll be back after the Christmas holiday. I hope all of you have a great holiday. And great Enjoy your time with your families. Enjoy your time off work. Let's hope by the next time Marquette basketball comes around here, we bring home another Have a fantastic week.